Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe, Lewis Goldberg, and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. Today, host Nick Opich and guest host Phil Carlson are talking with Angelo Sabellis, Chief Executive Officer at WeedMD, which has the stock symbol WMD on the TSVX and WDDMF on the OTC. WeedMD is a highly focused licensed producer and distributor of cannabis products for both the medicinal and adult use markets in Canada. The company is widely recognized throughout the industry for producing high quality products using both indoor and outdoor cultivation combined with in-house extraction, product development and manufacturing. With its recent acquisition of Starseed Medicinal, WeedMD has expanded its multi-channel distribution strategy with a valuable new addition. Starseed's partnerships with union groups, employers, and benefit providers in Canada provides exclusive access to more than 350,000 potential patients and complements WeedMD's direct sales. WeedMD is also well capitalized to continue its commercial growth and to pursue its Cannabis 2.0 product rollout. Angelo is joining us today to discuss WeedMD's cultivation capabilities, its unique closed-loop direct-to-consumer medical sales model, and consumer trends in the cannabis industry under the conditions of COVID-19. So don't sit back, lean forward. Now on to the conversation. And we're joined today uh, by Angelo Sabellis from WeedMD. Angelo, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, guys. It's great to be here. You know, we're really excited. We've been uh, waiting to have you on the show for a, a, a long time. And now, um, to kick it off, I'd really like to just start off, you know, how are things on your end? How have you been handling the, the coronavirus pandemic? Well, I mean, it's, it's become a bit of our new normal, hasn't it? I mean, I'm, uh, I'm actually here in our corporate office in Toronto today. Um, been traveling, trying to get to the, the offices or the, at least the facilities as often as we can. But obviously that, that, that changes things. You want to make sure that first and foremost, we keep our employees safe. And uh, up in Canada, we've been uh, at least uh, categorized as, uh, as an essential service. So we've had the luxury and the benefit of being able to stay, you know, as, as operational as can be. And so, but you do want to make sure that we don't introduce or, or bring anything into the offices or any of the, uh, the facilities, obviously, it's had an impact on us, just like anybody else in the world right now. So uh, we're getting by, though. I mean, it's, uh, it's forced us to be agile and flexible um, and find new ways to, uh, to, to address uh, historic uh, other issues. So, you know, we've adjusted. Yeah, that, that really seems to be, you know, the theme for a lot of companies right now is that, that flexibility, being nimble and everything. So it's great to hear that you guys are all uh, staying safe up there. But um, to start us off, you know, give us some background on, on WeedMD, your guys' products and services, and um, where you're operating within the, can, uh, the Canadian cannabis market. Sure. So we are, um, you know, everybody talks about being vertically integrated, but uh, we truly are fully vertically integrated. We have, uh, we, we play in all the major categories. So obviously the medical and the adult use sector, 
Um, we, we view them as channels, quite frankly. We are uh, represented in across all the, all the major um, provinces across the country. Um, there's a bit of B2B sales in there as well. So we, we've historically worked uh, with other licensed producers and, and sold some, uh, some of our product as well. And, and we can get a little bit into that as well. But overall, um, you know, we're a bit of a, of a story of a merger right now. And, and we're coming out on the tail end of that. So we, uh, we merged Starseed and WeedMD um, earlier this year, or right at the end of 2019. And, you know, the focus is over so far over 2020 has been trying to integrate those two, and it's, it's gone quite well. But the good news is we have a really strong medical brand, which is Starseed, and a really strong uh, cannabis, uh, recreational cannabis, our adult use, which we call a bit of our flagship, which is called Color Cannabis. And, you know, we were able to bring the best of both worlds and, and create this, this really dominant player right now. Angelo, so in regards to that Starseed acquisition, can you talk about the deal and how both organizations complement each other? Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, you, you hate to define yourself as a, a, a as a product of a merger, quite frankly, and and I think we are more than that. But when you look at at, at the deal in itself uh, that transpired last year, I, I still maintain that we are truly the first strategic merger that has happened in the cannabis space when you really look at all the other deals that happened. Um, for the most part, most of the M&A that's happened in the space has really been about getting bigger. Um, and we were really a product of two distinct businesses that, that, that came together and really brought uh, a, a true complement to each other. So on the Starseed side, we were almost exclusively focused on the medical channel. Um, we had a unique arrangement with one of the largest construction unions in Canada. Uh, we were the only company that I know of at, at the time that was really focused on, on building that insurance coverage uh, in, in the Canadian space and recognizing that, you know, if you really want to have a medical product, it's going to need some sort of uh, coverage, just like every other product in the healthcare space does. Um, and in fact, we weren't even growing. So we were not cultivators at all on the Starseed side. Um, so we were basically procuring and, and, and curating what I like to say, some of the, uh, the various strains and products out there and we were processing it. We were doing extraction and making some of our own oils and, and white labeling, quite frankly, what we thought were some of the best strains that, that our patients would look for. On the flip side, we at WeedMD had probably one of the best, if not the best cultivation platforms, you know, real legacy growers, um, incredible uh, platform, one of the most efficient systems in terms of a, a hybrid greenhouse. So, um, just all the right things in terms of having that, that front end. And so when you think about that and you bring those two together, um, it truly does bring, you know, best in class and, and you know, tr efficient production with a strong distribution channel. Obviously you can bring those two together. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's your sales and marketing division and, and your, uh, your operations divisions effectively. So, Starseed's unique medical model, it's, it's based on captive patients through partnerships with health insurance payer groups. Can you talk more about this sales channel and these direct-to-consumer relationships? You, you know, it, it's funny because uh, when, when introduced in Canada, people kind of look at you in a funny way. And I know that uh, Americans tend to think we have a, a, a totally different medical market up here. And, you know, I like to say sometimes that we don't have health benefits in Canada. We have health rights. As a God-given Canadian, you get the rights of free health care and Medicare and, and all the rest of it. But uh, 
it doesn't quite work that way. And I think the U.S., what, what we've developed on the Starseed side is very similar to what you would expect to see in a U.S. model, at least the pharmaceutical distribution model. And so, um, you know, we, we found a, a true partner. So Leuna was our, was our initial partner in, in that space. And uh, we can get a little bit into uh, what, what drove them. But effectively what we did is we recognized that the biggest barriers to medical cannabis were effectively going to be the healthcare community and the medical community as a whole, so doctors, and then cost, right? I mean, you think about doctors, uh, for the most part, it, it wasn't something they were traditionally accustomed to prescribing. I mean, it's not, it's not their go-to drug when somebody comes in and talks about you know, having sleep issues or pain issues. Um, and so, you know, the medical community was a little bit uh, apprehensive, if you will, just to try and say, well, let's wait to get a little more data or, or, or a little more knowledge even those that were actually um, supportive of it um, or felt that this could be an, an interesting alternative weren't really uh, understanding, well, what does a gram equal in terms of dosing? Like, I, mean, what, I, I don't know what that equals to in terms of how many Advil is that or how many Percocets is that, right? And so um, we took those two, two what we called barriers and said, how do we create an end-to-end model to actually help individuals? So, um, the commercial arrangement of, of being this exclusive partner is, is really just one about creating control for the employer so that, you know, it, it's actually directing and guiding their members to go to a, a source where they know that it's going to be credible. It's, it truly is about medicine and finding alternatives. And so obviously that, that helps us in terms of being able to offer those full services. But, you know, the fact that we were, we're actually providing cannabis is just, uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's an afterthought, but but really the the end-to-end model that we've built is really where where the, the magic happens. So the idea is that their members would come directly to us and and we would then put them in touch virtually with a, a healthcare professional, either a doctor or a nurse, that actually knew one first and foremost how to prescribe and determine whether it's appropriate, what dosing looks like, et cetera. That we then take that prescription um, and help help that individual walk through sort of what strains, what sort of product selection, um, how to use it. And then finally, the third and final piece was having that direct reimbursement or that direct billing uh, function set up, much like a pharmacy. They would give us their insurance policy. We would connect with the insurance company and get paid directly by the insurer. So eliminating that whole cash transaction with the individual. So it really is about delivering medicine in that sense. And so Taking that, I mean, you, you think about that, um, you're talking about a cashless transaction and in some cases, uh, helping educate individuals through that process. You know, when you, when you think about what we and where we started, it was really all about opiate displacement. I mean, um, you know, most of the plans were looking at ways to say, you know, uh, you know, cannabis wasn't quite, we were still managing a lot of stigma, but they weren't quite ready to, to say, well, is this really a, a medicine? But the bigger issue was opioids. And, you know, anybody that's lived in North America for the last five years or last decade knows exactly how, how serious of an issue that's become. So um, it was just the timing was great. Yeah. yeah, I think that's really important is just giving, you know, consumers or patients just as much information and in, in all in one place right there. So it's uh, really interesting the way you guys are doing everything there um, on the medical side. But I also want to discuss, you know, you brought up color cannabis and the adult use products that you're doing. You guys have done some some interesting market research initiatives and um, done, taken some steps uh, to build the brand. Can you tell us about, you know, what you've been doing with color cannabis and, you know, how that's been informing your business model? Happy to. I mean, it's, it's, 
we all knew that that at the end of the day, adult use was going to be the primary driver for cannabis in Canada. Um, I think medical was the spearhead, if you will, and, and now the rest of the, the market is coming in uh, on the tail of that. Um, just to digress one second back to, uh, to medical, what we, and the reason I said at the onset that we look at them as channels is because they're not distinct markets because there are medical patients that are truly looking for some sort of therapeutic relief, you know, similar to buying drugs over the counter that are also going to recreational stores. They figure, well, why would I go through the whole medical channel if I can just go down the street and buy it at the, at the store? So it doesn't mean that just because they're buying it from the quote unquote recreational store that they're not looking for something potentially therapeutic, but I'll digress back to uh, our color cannabis, um, which is super exciting. I mean, I, I, I tend to say that we are actually in the process of, of truly launching the brand. Um, it was officially launched last year, um, but through a number of, 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 of issues and, and things that have come up, we're now, what I like to say is relaunching it. And that means everything from launching new strains. Um, we're obsessed, I would say, with the customer experience and insights that we're learning and gleaning from, from our interactions. We are looking at new formats and sizes, expanding the whole entire portfolio as well to include and, and play a little bit more in the 2.0. So looking at things like vapes, um, you, you may be aware that we've signed a, a, a partnership as well with Mary's Medicinals, who's a, who's a significant player in the U.S. So we'll be bringing their products to the Canadian market. So, you know, all this can only be done by having a legit uh, and, and, and bolstering our sales team. And, and that's about being in front of those individuals. So I talked a little bit about what it, how important it was for that customer experience for the patient, but it's no different at the retail store, right? I mean, you're walking in, there's a, there's a plethora. There's really no brand that is, is far and away dominating here. I mean, we will eventually get to a market that is big on brands and the brand will dominate at some point, just like everything else we have in the, in North of our globally for that matter. But Right now, it's about understanding nuance and, and, and being able to deliver what customers are looking for and helping those stores make those decisions as well. Um, and, and really, the, the biggest challenge is, is the speed and pace, right? Um, the speed and pace of change is net break. I mean, I always call it like the cannabis space is like dog years, right? I mean, what we do in a year it takes, like most other industries, like seven years to catch up to. I mean, um, you know, we, we were doing... Uh, virtual medicine last year and doing, you know, consults over online. And then all of a sudden COVID hit and everybody's doing virtual medicine right now. Right. But, um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Well, you know, the old joke used to be, remember what, uh, there's only, um, uh, you know, those are two groups that are still using pagers. And that was, you know, drug dealers and, and, and emergency room doctors. Well, the drug dealers have since moved on, right? <laughs> Just the emergency room doctors, right? So we have to stay relevant. We have to stay quick, nimble, and, and adjust. And all the while, we're doing this under a, uh, you know, a, a heavy regulatory umbrella. So we've got to be creative in the way that we push uh, our, our color cannabis product forward. And you know, we're starting to see some trends that, that will adjust, but, you know, color is, is, is just, is, is really just a good news story for us. Yeah. I mean, you touched on it. The, uh, the, the innovation that cannabis has had to have and the regulations you guys are, are always putting up with really put a lot of cannabis companies ready to handle, you know, the, the unforeseen kind of pandemic environment that we've been put in. So yeah, it, it, I just keep hearing that over and over. So it's funny that, that you brought it up again. 
Um, but I want to stay on the topic of products because you brought up, um, the, you know, the consumer experience and um, cannabis 2.0. So what are you seeing um, in terms of consumer demand between, you know, traditional just flower or traditional cannabis products versus the cannabis 2.0 products? Are you seeing, um, you know, different products or formats coming in higher demand? Or, and, you know, what's your can you expand on the just overall approach um, to 2.0? Yeah, sure. Happy to. And, and you know, it, it, it's funny because, you know, pro- launching a product and launching a format is, is not easy. Um, you know, and I think sometimes everybody thinks, well, you know, just, just put out a gummy or just put out a, um, you know, uh, a new beverage or whatever the case is. I mean, there's a lot of work and everybody knows the amount of work that goes into launching a, a product or a format or a brand. Um, we're, we're seeing that definitely 2.0 is, is, is fast evolving and growing significantly, but, you know, we took a very measured approach and took a step back and, you know, you can look at all the mature markets in the U S and across Canada, and we continue to see that, you know, roughly 50% or so of the market continues to be to come through in terms of flour or pre-rolled or some sort of, uh, you know, flour, dry cannabis, if you will. Um, and that's how the, the preferred consumption continues to, to, to materialize. Will we see that, that mark, that number shrink potentially. Um, but for the most part, Cannabis users are still looking at that inhalable market. So you add in vapes to that, you're looking at 60 to 70% of the total market continues to come through sort of either, you know, what I call bud in a jar or a bag or in a, in a package, a pre-rolled or a vape. Um, so will that number shift? It probably will decrease slowly, I would say, over time. But the exciting thing is the what's new, right? I mean, it's introducing new, new, uh, new customers into the market. And, and you know, I don't want to say cannabis naive, but maybe somebody that's maybe moved away from cannabis for the last little while. And, and this is where we are starting to see some, some real excitement. We, I touched on our, our deal with Mary's. So we will be looking to launch some of their topicals and creams and, and gels and, and, um, and the like, because there is going to be this, this really strong, what I call wellness space. Um, so we're getting ready for that, but edibles like gummies and chocolates continue to be, you know, fast movers and, and, and it's, um, you know, I don't want to stereotype, but but a lot of our uh, the demographics and the, and the customer research that we're doing, we're finding that you know um, the female pop demographic is, is really popular there, and as well as the, yeah, but if everybody you know everybody's marketing strategy is focused on the soccer mom, who is the soccer mom? I don't, and I don't, you know what? And, and, and a shout out to all the soccer moms. I, don't, I think they all hate being called a soccer mom, right? <laughs> <laughs> but listen, they're the ones that are doing it. They really are. You know, I, uh, I'm not going to name any names, obviously, because I do, I, I do think my neighbors listen to this uh, podcast. But um, you know, some of these guys, I know, I know. <laughs> but you know, some of these guys have not. They've never tried any of this stuff before, and you know. Maybe I brought some out at a Saturday night get together or whatever, and um, you know I was like, "But anybody like some?" And all the moms were like, "Right here." I'm like, "Okay." Yeah. So, <laughs> sorry to interrupt, Angela. I I couldn't agree more. I no 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 no. You're you're absolutely right, and and you know what? Stereotypes unfortunately exist for a reason because we have access to data and we have access to information and insights that that didn't exist. I think I think there's a couple of things happening here. One. You know, we've spent the last, you know, three decades basically telling people to quit smoking. And so this is this is one of these markets now where we're, we're kind of reintroducing this idea of in, of inhaling. Um, you know, so I think 
I think generally speaking, people are trying to move away from that and we are looking for healthier alternatives. And so, um, you know, this is, I, I think this is a, a great opportunity, whether it's, you know, some of these, as I said, these gummies or candies or chocolates and even beverages, you know, we're starting to see beverages really, really take effect. I think there were a couple launched in Canada um, earlier this year and, and they did well over the summer. So we'll, we'll see what that looks like going forward. But, um, you, you know, we, we, we joke and we're laughing about the whole soccer mom, but, but that's exactly it. It's about introducing this and removing that stigma and that barrier that's existed for so long that has kept people out of this, out of the market um, and looking for alternatives. Yeah. The, the stoner, the stoner culture, right? Right, right. And, and, you know, listen, and, and, and even something like that, you know, the, the, what the quote unquote stoner culture, I mean, they are an important demographic as well. Like, I mean, we're, let's, let's be honest, we're all here because of them, right? Like this industry exists because of the work they did. And, and, you know, they're, they're educated and knowledgeable and, and, you know, they're not necessarily thinking in a couch anymore, you know, they're, they're high functioning. And so I think this, and it, you know, we, we talk about, you know, the, the, what I joke about the dog years, but we are just in the embryonic phase of, of this industry. And, you know, you know, we're lucky to be in Canada and to have an opportunity to, to be part of this as, as it grows. And we'll, you know, we're watching keenly to what happens over the next few months and, in the U.S. as well, and see if we can uh, we can progress that. But um, 2.0, I think, is all is where all our high value um, and, and and the next generation of of, of users and uh, and customers are going to come from. Um, and there are a number of other trends, and, and and evolution is inevitable. We we need to see it because right now the you know the basic uh, buying principles are you know people walk into a store and say what's your highest THC and which ones are cheapest and and we need to see that evolve as well, because anybody that's, that's consumed knows that, you know, it, it, it's almost the equivalent of, of going out and buying wine or beer or any other uh, and saying, you know, what's your highest alcohol and, and which one's the cheapest? I mean, none of us buy any other product that way. And so I think we'll start to see that evolve as people start thinking about things like the overall experience, the chirping, the, the flavors and, and, and all the other qualities that go into that. And it's not all about THC. Um, but you know, yeah. the value brand is here to stay. You know, I think, I think COVID has introduced this value brand and these high volume, you know, uh, value packs at, at low pricing and, and for a certain part of the market, it, it, it's important, but I think we'll see that evolution happen. Right. So I actually, you know, a quick question on your background, given that, you know, you've been in pharmaceutical, broader healthcare, and you were previously with shoppers in Claxco, you know, tell us more about your experience and what inspired you to get involved in cannabis? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a bit of an interesting story, isn't it? So, I mean, I've been in healthcare for the better part of the last 20 years. Um, and uh, I remember telling my wife, uh, you know, I'm going to leave, uh, or, you know, stepping out of Shoppers Drug Mart. And I'm getting, so my wife is a family doctor as well, right? So I'm telling her, I'm getting involved with a medical cannabis company. And you know, uh, I'll, I'll stop there. And you, you guys said I could use foul language on this, but but we'll stop there in terms of what that, was, what that dinner sounded like, right? Because it was very early on. But um, I think it was a natural fit for me. I, you know, all, all, all kidding aside, it, these are big decisions that a lot of people made and a lot of people before me, right? Um, my background, as you said, from Shoppers Drug Mart, one of the, large, the largest, uh, you know, pharmacy chain in, in, in Canada and Glaxo is, you know, obviously GSK being one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world. 
you know, it, it kind of set me up. You know, I was also involved in a number of uh, entrepreneurial ventures during that time as well. I always stayed close to that. And, um, you know, so, so cannabis was almost a natural fit for me. It was pretty clear that this is going to, this is going to satisfy those entrepreneurial juices that I had and needed this, this idea of building. But having understand that the rigor and the structure that comes within a, a regulated market and understanding how the, what I like to say, the back end and the, the underbelly, if you will, of the pharmaceutical and the, the commercial aspects of, of selling pharmaceuticals and distributing pharmaceuticals within a, within the, not only Canada, but globally as well. Um, I think it, it, it really fit well. And, you know, the, the, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty interesting because our chief medical officer, uh, who's also a close personal friend, Dr. Bletcher, um, he's also a pain specialist. So I actually brought him into Shoppers Drug Mart to speak at one of our conferences to educate the pharmacist, not only about pain medicines, but also, uh, how cannabis is, is an alternative. And, uh, and we sat down and he was chatting and saying, you, you have to come in and, and, and meet the guys at Sarsita. You need to be here. And so it, it, it evolved. And then, you know, obviously I met with uh, some of the Luna folks as well. And the leadership was so progressive in terms of what they were looking to do. And they're saying, you know, how do we turn Canada? How do we add cannabis to our benefit plan? How do we get our guys to, to see this as a true alternative? So, um, you know, it, it, Timing in life is everything, and, and the timing was now, and, and here we are like three years later, and I feel like I've aged over a decade, but uh, it's been an incredible ride so far, and I'm, I'm really pumped for what, what, what comes next. Hey, so you just mentioned Leuna. Um, can you talk about that relationship and the financial flexibility it provides? Sure, sure. I mean... I'll talk a little bit about the relationship we have with them, you know, as, as an entity, as a, as a labor union, first, first of all, because, you know, they're, you know, I, I think they're one of the most, um, you know, I'm not even sure what the right word is, but definitely uh, under-recognized for, for, for the, the amount of work they do, um, not only in Canada, but in the U.S. They have about 300, uh, pardon me, about 100,000 members here in Canada. And that's about 300,000 people when you include their families and dependents, and you think about that. Uh, from a from a Canadian market that is you're you're getting close to about one percent of the population, right? I mean this that's that's that's, uh, that, that's not a small number. And so um, you then look at the fact that they have five hundred thousand members in the U.S. as well. Um, I touched a little bit about the opiate crisis, and you know there there were two studies that came out. One out of the U.S. and uh, in Massachusetts, I believe it might have been out of Harvard. Another one out of uh, British Columbia and Canada. And it showed that anywhere from 25% to a third of all opiate-related deaths in North America were with construction workers. I mean, you, you, you stop and think about that number for a minute, and what does it tell you? I mean, I think, I, I think it totally makes, starts making a lot of sense when you think about the logic, right? These, these guys, and I say guys because predominantly it is male-dominated, right? Um, they're doing, you know, grueling work, you know, putting their bodies through some, some pretty physical and demanding work. And, you know, most doctors only had one thing to offer, right? And it was painkillers and opiates or, or some sleeping pills. And we unfortunately have learned of the devastating effects that, that this has down the road, whether it's dependency or, or worse, whether it's addiction and, and some of the other things that come out of that. And, you know, my hat goes off to Leuna for recognizing this. And, and you know, their, their primary goal is and always continues to be the health and wellness of their members um, and their families. And, and it's incredible how they treat uh, both members and their families. And, and 
you know, I've, I've had the privilege of, of working closely with them and attending a number of their functions and, and even the way they treat the retirees, right? They stay part of that family. And so, um, you know, full marks to them. But what became abundantly clear is they're saying, how do, how do we implement this? You know, you know, we're happy to try it. And so um, this is where, as we continued working on this, the pension fund, obviously, uh, it's a really large pension fund here in Canada. And they were looking at saying, you know, they, they make a number of investments in infrastructure and, and, and other industries and projects. And, you know, they put their money where their mouth was uh, as, a, as a pension fund and thought, we, we, you know, let's invest in this company. We believe in, 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 the, in the runway and the industry. Um, you know, the industry's taken, unfortunately, a couple of turns uh, from, from the time that we all got involved. But, but really what this latest round of financing does as well is it gives us the runway we need to get to profitability. I mean, we, we have a plan, we have a strategy. We are fully built out in terms of uh, infrastructure because we've got, uh, you know, significant amounts of land and, and, and buildings and facilities. And so it's really about turning it on, leveraging it, leveraging it the right way and, and, uh, and capitalizing on that distribution. So, you know, um, they are truly a strategic partner. I want to expand, you know, you, you're bringing up strategy here, but I want to expand on, you know, you guys seem to have a lot of room to grow in Canada, but where are you guys thinking on international expansion? I know you've brought up, um, uh, you know, potentially entering the U.S. market. Are you guys exploring um, other countries like in Europe or um, Israel, Australia? I know that there's a lot of companies working with those, but how are you guys looking at that international expansion? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'll answer that by saying we are laser focused on Canada right now. Um, laser focused because we're only at the, as I said, you know, the early stages of our plan and we've got uh, an excellent plan and incredible team that's working hard to execute against that. Um, having said that, um, we are keeping a close eye on, on some of the progress that we're seeing, you know, specifically in Germany. And you, you, you see that, that market opening up and then UK there's, there's ongoing, Work. And, and at one point, it seemed like international was all the flurry, right? I mean, everybody was, every LP was out there investing somewhere in Europe and Malta and Portugal. And, and, and I'm finding now that the markets are going to take time to evolve, right? Um, so they are doing that quickly. Um, you see what's happening is it's almost always medical first, uh, which makes total sense, which is right in our sweet spot. So we're starting to see that there may be other opportunities for us um, to do that. And I would say those opportunities will be explored via partnership. I mean, I, um, I'm not sure that we would, we would commit uh, significant capital and build out and, and trying to build our own presence there. And so, you know, the experts on the street, you got to have strong uh, local partners to make that work. But um, even in Australia, you know, I mean, we partnered with, uh, we had a, a large uh, deal that we did uh, earlier this year or the end of last year with, uh, with one of the attraction providers. And, and so we did a, a, a pretty significant deal with them and they sent all that product to Australia. So um, we're definitely keeping a close eye on the U S um, you know, it, it, our model seems to fit quite well. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's accelerated quickly. I'd say in the last six months and everybody's ramping up for, for the possibilities, but it still remains an inefficient model. Like, I mean, the MSOs, the idea of having production and, and facilities in every state and, you know, it's not efficient right now. So we will see, some of that. And, and, you know, we'll have our conversations as well with, uh, with strong local partners. So, um, you know, it's, it's not a primary focus, but you know, we, we, we can't keep looking in the side mirrors and, uh, we got to look ahead too. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I, I totally agree with that. I mean, everybody in the U.S. is just waiting for, for those U.S. markets to evolve and just kind of expand. You know, Phil, Phil's in New Jersey. He's ready for the vote in November. I'm in New York right now. It's so like we're, we're, we've been following these markets for so long. We're ready for them to open. And so we're, I think we're all in the same boat, just waiting for the U.S. to, uh, to evolve on this issue. But I want to stay uh, looking forward on this. You know, we're, we're finally, thank, thankfully, entering the final end of 2020. But, <laughs> you know, when, when you think about these final months and, you know, even going into 2021, what's got you most excited? Well, that's a fantastic question. I mean, we have been head down. I mean, we have been so focused on, you know, putting, as you say, 2020 behind us, not only because of, quite frankly, all the bullshit everybody's yeah. had to deal with globally. I mean, it, <laughs> it, is, it, is, it has introduced a new level of stress that people were not, um, we were not accustomed to. I mean, no amount of planning got, got you through this year, okay? Like, let's be honest. Um, but for us, you know, just to kind of paint a little bit of my personal picture. I mean, so we do this deal, uh, Starseed Weed MD, you know, really closed the beginning of this year. I take over as CEO sometime in, you know, mid-February, if you will. I start doing my tours, trying, you know, trying to acquaint myself. And then we get into a lockdown with a global pandemic, right? It's like, okay, keep integrating two companies, keep bringing those cultures together, you know, make the changes in strategic directing you want to set. And so it's been it's been a challenge to say the least. I mean, you know, integrating any two companies during any time is, is, is a tough challenge on its own. Oh this, yeah. This, this introduced a whole new level of, 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 of hurt, I guess, um, in terms of the amount of effort and work that our teams have put in. And, and, you know, I, I really couldn't be more proud of how far our, our people have taken us right now. And, and, and the, the level of commitment and passion is, is just, you know, not just not just for the cannabis industry, but you know I haven't seen that level from 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 any industry I've been a part of, quite frankly. And so Q4 is really all about executing against all the hard work we've put in, right? It's 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 dialing up. It's it's you know we've turned on our the other ten rooms, so we have a, a two hundred twenty thousand square foot greenhouse uh, just outside of Toronto, about two hours west of Toronto, and, and just outside of London, Ontario, and you know, half of that was only came on in the last couple of months of, of 2019. So, um, you know, just, just scaling that up, introducing those processes and that, that output has been incredible. I mean, the, the rooms, the team there is just humming now, right? So it's, it's about how do we create the efficiencies we need to get that incredible product that they're growing into the right packaging and out and distribution. I mean, distribution is everything. At the end of the day, uh, we know we have a quality product. And we can compete with, with the best of the best. And so it really comes down to making sure we have shelf space. We, we build our brand awareness and, and relevance. And so uh, I hate to be so boring, but it's, it's execute against our plan. And, you know, that, that's been the biggest challenge. We have a, a newly formed sales team that actually, if you hear the noise and screaming, they're actually doing their planning in the room next door. So <laughs> I have to go in and tell them to settle down. It's not, you know we're in the cannabis industry. We're, we're serious people here. Don't have fun. Right. Um, and so, <laughs> um, so it's really about executing uh, on that plan. And then next year is really about turning, turn, taking it to the next level. Hopefully we can, we can come out of some of these COVID, COVID restrictions and, and get back in front of uh, our key partners as well on the medical side, right? Like being able to educate patients and, and, and bring them in and, and just, you know, 
even though we've, we've evolved, we need to eliminate some of that stigma. So, um, like I said, I hate to be so boring it, but it's, it's launching a couple new formats, you know, introducing some of our 2.0 products that are, are, are in development right now. Um, and just streamlining and scaling it and, and, you know, telling the world who we are. So let's expand on this a little bit. You're, you're talking about the facilities outside of Toronto. Uh, can you tell us about all of your facilities, where they're located, what their various functions are? Sure. Sure. I mean, I was, I was actually, um, uh, the other day somebody asked me, uh, what is our total, uh, total footprint? And I was doing the math and I think, I think in total we have something like we have over a hundred acres of, of space. Uh, when you think about what that all means, I mean, it's not all licensed right now, but, um, we're talking about, uh, in, so just West of Toronto is, uh, in London, Ontario, we have two facilities. Our greenhouse is sort of our flagship uh, property, if you will. There's there's a hundred acre property there, um, on which we have uh, a, a retrofitted greenhouse, which is where we grow. So it's got all the the best in class and the latest and greatest in terms of uh, cultivation equipment. Um, but you get the efficiency of being in a greenhouse. Um, so there's 220,000 square feet, so it's around five acres that is under glass. It's fully licensed. We have an additional 300,000 square feet behind that that we can continue to build and expand upon. Um, as I said, as we scale our market presence and our sales, uh, we'll turn that on when, when and if the time comes. Adjacent to that, we have a 27-acre uh, licensed outdoor grow. So we are one. Of, we were one of the only, one of a few companies last year that actually grew outdoors. We had an incredible harvest. It did a great job last year, and we've taken all those learnings and and built uh, re you know, re-energize that outdoor grow again this year. I think we, we actually ended up using just slightly less than that, about 22 or 23 acres, uh, specifically to, you know, we knew the good spots and the bad spots and avoided the bad spots. It's that easy. And so um, there's another almost 70 acres adjacent that we've not licensed yet. And as you can appreciate, um, it's tough enough harvesting 27 acres. If we can start finding a market for the other uh, 70 acres, then then you know we'll we'll make sure that we turn that on as well. But um, we've built a 50,000 square foot uh, outdoor growth uh, structure, so we can take all that product. We don't want to bring that outdoor product into our facility and 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 you know and, and mix anything up there. So um, we've got that built. So that's our Strathroy facility. We also have a 26,000 square foot uh, extraction and processing facility in Elmer, which is about uh, 35 minutes away from, uh, from our greenhouse. And we have two uh, Vitalis uh, extractors there. can do up to 50,000 kgs a year in processing into, uh, for our 2.0 products, but we're also doing all our uh, automated production packaging lines out of there as well. So uh, an incredible team working there. And then finally we have our, uh, 15,000 square foot facility in Bowman Village is about an hour east of Toronto. So uh, the, the opposite direction, but this was the old Starseed facility. And we converted that into our medical hub, if you will. Everything from uh, our call center and uh, all of our customer experience team uh, sits out there, uh, as well as fulfillment. But we've also started looking at a couple of uh, new developments, so joint ventures and, and some small companies that are looking to try and, and do something new in the cannabis space. We have the space and the capacity, so we're uh, we're looking at being a bit of an incubator out there. But more to come on that. And, um, so, those are our facilities. That's awesome, and we're definitely going to be keeping a close eye on uh, you know the the incubator stuff that you're doing there. Yeah. But um, 
Um, Angelo, uh, we've, we've reached the end of our interview. Thank you so much for, for joining us. We've got one last question for you. It's something we, uh, we, you know, we ask all of our guests whenever they come on our show. But you know, if you're opening up the, the Toronto Star, the Globe and Mail, Financial Post, from your perspective, what do you think is the story that's not being told about the cannabis industry that you wish was told? If you're looking on that front page, what's that story that you want to see being written? That's a great question. You know, I, I think it, it really comes down to the amount of work and sophistication that, that goes into, into what we're doing. I think, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about stigma today, but, but this, this notion of, of stoner culture and, and you know, I, the one thing that everybody says when they walk through our facilities is, you know, they're, they're blown away, one, by the fact that they have to put on full PPE. And I said, well, it's not because of COVID, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's what we do, right? And I, having come from the pharma industry, that was normal, right? I mean, that, that's what we did. But when you look at the level of sophistication and experience and knowledge, you know, everything from growing a plant, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's weed. Let's not, let's not get too, too carried away. <laughs> but to grow anything at scale and that quality, you can't just, the black market can't keep up, right? Um, you know, the quality is, uh-huh. is, is a totally different. And so the level of sophistication that you see that goes into everything from growing the plant, processing it through our automation and our teams and, and the amount of work that goes into launching brands and, and, and just, you know, just the effort. And, and when you think about all that and you're talking about, you know, a fairly modest price point when you're talking about three and a half grams or, or five gram packaging or, or one gram pre-roll, the amount of work that goes into making a one or a, a third of a gram pre-roll, um, it, it's staggering. So, you know, it, it, it's not farming. You know, I think a lot of people think, well, it's just, it's just growing a plant and putting it in a jar. So it, it, it's not that simple. And, um, you know, I think my hat goes off to not just our, our team, but everybody in the industry right now that, that's making a go of it. So, we're, we're, you know, it, it, it's a ton of respect for them, for sure. Love it. Love it. Angelo, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Angelo. This is great. Nick, Phil, such a pleasure, guys. Great chatting with you. A special thanks to Angelo Sabellis, CEO at WeedMD. You can check them out under the stock symbols WMD on the TSXV and WDDMF on the OTC. Also, check them out and learn more about their products um, at WeedMD.com. As always, thanks for listening. If you want to chat with us, find us on Twitter at the handle at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast. Drop us an email uh, greenrush at kcsa.com and as always loving to read everyone's emails that comes through um, and don't forget to subscribe to the Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher and to our newsletter which you can find on greenrushpodcast.com that's one take Shay one take